Now on Radio Italia Uno. It's time for Happy Business Radio with Peter Salerno. An hour where we have lots of fun with very interesting guests. We talk about how to start, build, and increase your business. Right now, on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good afternoon, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And the reason why we say good morning, good afternoon, and good night is because we are lucky enough to be broadcasted here in Adelaide every Monday from 2 till 3 p.m., and it goes around Australia and other places people pick it up. But also after that, Ron from Podcast City, thanks to Ron and Karen, podcast this, this program and it goes around the world to over 40 countries now. And it's fantastic. I, I just want to, before we get into the program and introduce my special guest for this week, because I've been lucky enough to get a real doozy, a real beauty this week. Uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. But I had last week, we were talking to somebody on Zoom and they were from Nepal and we also had somebody from Bhutan, uh, which is just next door there and of course from Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand and Africa. We had two or three different countries in Africa um, that we were talking to on the Zoom and I, I was surprised to hear that one of the young boys had just won a gold medal or the, the gold for the um, Africa, all of Africa. He won the Young Inventor of the Year for all of Africa and he's only 12 years old. But since then I've heard what he's been doing and what other people that entered the competition have done. It just blows me away how these young you know, experts now, you know, they're 10, 12, 15 years of age and they're inventing things that uh, are so, so useful and I just want to keep encouraging those people to keep doing that, you know, because we've had uh, two uh, people here from um, South Australia on the program here not that long ago who had won a world award and was presented by the Queen of Spain uh, for his invention that was made by somebody who's incorporated some of the material that somebody else had invented. So that's how this works, you know, like nobody does it alone. It says only you can do it, but you cannot do it alone. So if you remember that, and you know, then the world would be a much better place because you share your information, you share your knowledge, and then other people will pick it up and run with it. And that's what this program's been doing. And and I'm so pleased. You know, I've had a lot of people say, "Oh, Peter, you should get an award." And I said, "That's no, not about me. It's my my guests, which really are telling us how wonderful." their life has been or what they've achieved or even some have been uh, really harsh from a really hard background and have managed to achieve great things. And uh, my guest, we were just talking before we come in and they said, you know, yes, it is possible to achieve anything, but you can't do it without hard work. And that's the big, that's the spanner, you know, that's the main thing, you know, you can't do it without hard work. So, look, my special guest today is Jane Lomax-Smith. Jane Lomax-Smith she was the mayor of Adelaide, of the city of Adelaide here in South Australia. And I remember her as mayor and I remember she did a wonderful job during the period that she was there. And now, years, years later, she's going back and she wants to go back as mayor uh, of Adelaide. Now, Adelaide, as we all know, is just one, the third most livable city in the world uh, and so many other accolades, you know. Uh, look it up. <laughs> it's the best place to live and to work and to have a, a young family. This is the city. And now if Jane Lomax-Smith goes back in as mayor, 
I'm sure we'll be back on track and, and keep that title for a long, long time. So, Jane, welcome to our humble radio station, but welcome to our program here at Happy Business Radio, and thanks to Ron that's podcasted around the world. Such a joy to be with you, Peter. Yeah, thank you. Jane, you've got quite a background because, you know, you, you're originally from England and then you came out to Australia. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing in England and how you came to come to Australia. Well, I came from a fairly ordinary working-class background where Mm -hmm. my parents had left school at 13, my grandparents had done the same thing, and they'd Mm -hmm. all all been tradesmen. They'd all have Mm -hmm. skills. You know, they were carpenters, they were fishermen, um, (laughs) they were French polishers. Yeah. um, And they had a great respect for education and made Mm -hmm. sure that even though I was a girl, Yes. They wanted me to do well. And I was surrounded by books and visits to museums and trips to the theatre even. And my upbringing really was generous in that mm-hmm. everyone expected me to do well and encouraged me to work. So I went to university and studied medicine mm-hmm. and then decided I wanted to be a pathologist. Okay. And being a pathologist takes even more study. Mm. And while I was working through that program, I was offered a job in Adelaide and I'd never really, well, when you live in a big city, you don't really ever think of leaving that city. (laughs) And at the end of the day, I thought, well, if I'm going to leave London, I might as well go to Australia. (laughs) What's the difference? And I came to work at the University of Adelaide and it was the most extraordinarily welcoming experience because Mm -hmm. I love... uh, you know, you can probably tell I like talking, I love teaching. <laughs> they gave me great opportunities and I was really fortunate to be there. Eventually, I realised that I wasn't just coming for a year because I'd mm-hmm. had my fare paid. I thought that initially it would be for a short period. I loved it so much. I was so stunned by Adelaide. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to stay longer. But I got sent off to Boston in America for a year and then worked for another year in England running a lab. Right. And then I was married and I really thought having children puts another spin on your life. Yes. You really feel focused on the fact that you want to be somewhere that's safe, that's good, good education, yes, uh, good climate, important. fine place to live, beautiful environment and everything that you would want for your child. <laughs> and so there was no choice. I had to live in Adelaide. Yes. Because that's, it is, as you say, the best place in the world to live. Well, it's such a – I mean – Adelaide, everybody says it's such a welcoming place. It's like a big country town, people say, you know. But the, the good thing about it is I'm, I've worked overseas so many years and I travel a lot, but I'm always embarrassed to say peak hour traffic because we don't have peak hour traffic. We have peak half hour traffic. And even if a car breaks down, there's plenty of room to go around it, you know. So it's interesting. But the, the thing that I'd like to ask you, like you, you mentioned that when you were a young girl, your family encouraged you to go to university. What inspired you to go to university? Well, I was lucky I got into a really good school and everyone went to university, so that was a good basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think my father always wanted me to be a doctor. He right. had this kind of ambition for me. And because I was good at science and maths, that was mm-hmm. a credible aspiration. Yes. And obviously it was something that I found achievable. Yes. And for me... There was never a case of doing anything else. I had a job from the age of 12. I worked in my... My mother was a hairdresser. I used to hand up rollers and help. <laughs> I love... I still love the smell 
of hairdressing. Perm, perm lotion. <laughs> if I smell that perm lotion, I can feel myself going back to being with my mother, oh, my wow. late mother. It's a wonderful smell. Uh, probably no one else feels that way about it. But I'd always worked, but I knew that I could do something else more. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a pathologist is a wonderful career because you're the arbiter of everything. You, you're the final word. You get the mm. last say. You tell the surgeons what to do. <laughs> and then you've got the big advantage. You can go to bed at night. Yes. So all in all, it's the best <laughs> career for, for a doctor. Oh, wow. So you picked it well. So, look, it's encouraging to, to see that, like, from a very early age, you sort of had an idea of where you wanted to go because some people get to a certain age and they change careers, they change places. and, and But you, you also came to Adelaide and then within a short period of time of being here, you, like I said, you decided to come back because you went away for a while, you came back and then you, you became naturalised Australian. Yes, well, I think there are several parts of the, the story in all that. I think that firstly... Adelaide is Australia is incredibly welcoming. I became an Australian citizen in 1991, and within mm-hmm. seven years, I was the Lord Mayor who was actually officiating at the citizenship ceremonies. Mm. That is an extraordinary thing. How could yes. any country let a foreigner like <laughs> me in yes. to such <laughs> an intimate part of their civic life? I mm. just, I just think it's phenomenal. But the other thing is, whilst I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. My career has been quite modern in a way because mm-hmm. in the old days, of course, people would have a career for life. Yes. And you would have a dream or you would work towards something and you would be in the same line of business for 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Even. Whereas I've changed quite a lot. It's in that I've gone mm-hmm. from uh, clinical pathology to academic research. I've taught. I've gone into private laboratories. I've run my own business, I've run my own private laboratory, Mm. I've run government um, hospital Mm -hmm. departments, I've gone into local government, then I've moved into state government, and then Mm. I've done reviews and reports for the federal government. In the old days, I would have been really embarrassed about my CV because it Mm -hmm. would look flighty. Yes. You know, it would look as if you've got This woman can't keep a job. That's right. (laughs) Um, But I think it's the modern way. Yeah. Young this people is what now I'm encouraging. change yeah. all the time. Exactly. And I always say to people, every time you have an experience, you gain from it. So everything I've done has led me to be the person I am now. So I always think that being a doctor taught me how to judge human nature mm-hmm. and to know if someone was telling fibs. Yes. I always thought that teaching at the university mm-hmm. gave me the capacity to stand up in front of a crowd and speak even when they're fidgeting and scratching the way students do. Mm-hmm. That's a big skill. and I've never been scared of public speaking. I think that being in local government taught me an amazing amount about governance, about budgeting, about mm-hmm. strategic planning, about mm-hmm. thinking ahead. And I think that that played into the time I was in state parliament because mm-hmm. it meant that by the time I entered parliament and I became a minister, I knew how to run things. Yes, And it also had affected the way I ran my own business because I'd actually never done a a business training course or any of those courses, but Mm -hmm. I'd actually had experience and learnt. I did, I've done courses, I've done governance courses, you know, those company directors courses, but it was extraordinary. I think that, you know, even though it looks flighty, I change. Mm -hmm. I I really think that I've learnt something in each life so that now 
I feel that I've got a rounded level of experience Excellent. that actually yes. makes me feel confident. This is what I'm trying to encourage people all the time. In business, you can't just be the businessman You've got to, or businesswoman or the business person. You've got to look at other areas. You've got to know how to budget. You've got to know all these other things. And you either have to employ somebody to do that for you or you have to know about it yourself. And if you're the big boss of any business, you should know enough about it to keep your finger on the pulse. And then, of course, you can get the, the accountant to do the accounts, the lawyer to do the law, the, somebody else to do the legal procedures because the lawyer that does you know, a corporate law does not do uh, business transaction laws are, are different to you know, a domestic dispute sort of thing, you know. I'm, I'm a great believer in employing people to do the things properly that you need to do. But yes. at the same time, if you've got a business, you've got to have oversight. And one of the things I learned early on in my life in running a business was you actually have to understand the budgets. You can't leave it all to the accountant. You have to really be able to eyeball the numbers and see if something looks funny. Well, that's um, why so many businesses fail within the first two, three years. And statistics say that within the first five years, most businesses fail. You know, there's not so many businesses that go past five years and, and continue. They all struggle for the first two years. If, you, if the manager or the owner doesn't know what's happening, that's it. The business won't run. I had a really good mentor early on in my business life. I had someone who explained how to watch the cash flow. Ah, Yes. And the cash flow in a small business is one of the most important issues because mm -hmm. if you can't pay your bills, your reputation goes and your staff goes. Exactly. And actually making sure that the money flowing in is coming faster than the money flowing out now, is really, really important. Yeah, I think that's, that's very important. Look, we're going to have to take a break in a minute or in a few seconds, but well, before we could take the break, I just want to say that's probably one of the most important parts of any business, that most people, their upkeep is their downfall. <laughs> you know, they're trying to keep everything up and then and they just can't afford to pay for the things that they want, have to pay for, let alone the things that they want to pay for. You know, and unfortunately, so, so many people go into business and immediately they put their hand in the tilt because they want a, a brand new car or they want a, a holiday or they want this or that or whatever. And they don't realise that the business can't afford to pay those things in the first few years. And even if the business is going really well, you've got to watch out for when if something did happen, you know, the, the, the what if plan has to be there, you know. So, look, we'll take a break and we'll come straight back. Thank you, Ron. <music> When you hear the name Bocelli Cafe, you think an Adelaide institution, a family restaurant that's been providing the finest Italian cuisine for almost two decades. Coffee of the highest quality and staff that treat you like family. Spacious, COVID-safe indoor dining and a fully heated outdoor area. The kitchen is always prepared for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Parking's a dream. Bocelli Cafe Restaurant. 81 to 83 Hutt Street, Adelaide. Call them 8232-3006 to book or follow Bocelli on Facebook and Instagram. Foodland's proudly owned by South Australian families like mine. Our stores are our second home and just like home, we want you to feel safe and looked after when you visit. Thankfully, our customers have always acted like Mighty South Aussies when shopping with us which, by the way, supports all the local family-owned brands who produce the essentials you find on our shelves. Great families, great locals, and great food lives here. Foodland, the mighty South Aussies, yeah! 
Hi, I'm Matt McQuinley. Join me each Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, destroying victim philosophy, canceling cancel culture, and by discussing as well as listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, beliefs, business, history, world events, and more. Change the world with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Radio Italia Uno. Sito internet www.italiauno.com.au. Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram. Radio Italia Uno. You're listening to Peter Salerno on Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening every Monday from 2 to 3 on Radio Italia Uno. We have Happy Business Radio and then it's podcasted around the world thanks to Ron and Karen from Podcast City. Look, I'll say this week after week and I'll keep saying it. Please support the people that support us. We have some wonderful people here who have got some wonderful products, some wonderful services. And so if you yourself have a product or service that you want to advertise, you want to get out to the public, Come and see us. We have some fantastic deals. I was speaking to Mark, our general manager, the other day and a couple of the other people at this radio station. They were saying how they're offering really good specials for advertising your products or services between now and Christmas especially. And and also you may have heard on the television how Radio Italia Uno have got some people coming from Italy. We've also got the voice of Italy, which is um, uh, Riccardo Antonelli, Live from Italy will be at the Woodville Town Hall on Friday the 18th of November. So it's not long, on the, you know, just over a month away. Riccardo uh, Antonelli will be here. And the tickets are really good, only $59. And uh, you can buy them through um, tribe bookings or through our radio station. And, of course, our very own beautiful uh, young lady will be, Martha, will be the uh, MC for the evening. And there'll, there'll be a whole lot of fun and games that she brings along with her. So uh, Martha does a wonderful job. So please, if you're interested in uh, The Voice of Italy, book your tickets through Try Bookings or Ring the Radio Station. And of course, if you have a product or service that you want to advertise, now's a perfect time to get in touch with us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my special guest today is Jane Lomax-Smith. She's currently going for Mayor of Adelaide. So... She was previously the mayor of Adelaide. She was a mayor of Adelaide for a term and uh, then she went into uh, state politics and uh, she's been doing a whole lot of other things and we're going to ask her now to tell us about some of the other things that she's been involved in. And she has been involved in similar business but doing lots of different things within that realm, isn't it, Jane? Well, I'm not much of a joiner but I do (laughs) sometimes see a problem and want to help. I I think that's part of my personality. So... I've often gone into organisations that have needed help. I've been involved with a whole range of associations. So I've recently just retired from the World Federation of Friends of Museums. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the Australian president of that for six years. Wow. I have been the chair of the South Australian Museum. That was for nine years. Mm-hmm. I was on the board of the Jam Factory for nine years. Oh, I've wow. been on mm-hmm. government and university committees, largely about science and education. I've been involved in a whole range of history and 
science groups, you know, short-term mm-hmm. activities, and I'm currently the chair of the Teachers Registration Board and the Don Dunstan Foundation. But I have lots of little hobbies. And Look, the thing is, and then some people say, I don't have time to go to a knitting class or I don't have time to do this. And you've done all these things. Over the last nine years, you've been on so many committees and so many organisations that you've helped. I mean, and I do some lovely, fun things. I mean, it's not yes. all hard work. I I volunteer every year at the show. I'm working in the show kitchen with the CWA. Yes, and I have gardening hobbies and I give talks on history. Yes, excellent. I, do, I have some history research, and I'm I've been the, a, a friend of libraries, and I've helped fundraise. I, I've helped do a lot of fundraising. Mm-hmm for organisations, because so many of our volunteer groups do wonderful things. They have huge obligations and insufficient money. And if you can think of something generous or innovative or original, mm-hmm. and you can round up your friends, you can often help those organisations. Yes, that's, that's the thing. See, a lot of people... You know, it's sometimes it just bothers me when I hear people say, oh, I haven't got time to do this or that or whatever. And yet there are people like such as yourself who've been doing so many things over the, the period of time, you know. And it's not just one thing. You've been on several committees. It's not on just one library you've helped. You've helped several. Not one museum. You've helped several. You've been on the board of different organisations. And, you know, to do that, you know, it's not everybody can do that. I'm not saying that everybody can do that. But the fact is that... The fact that you're doing it, that means other people could if they wanted to. And that's what I want to inspire and and help others to think that way. Well, I think that if you want to be on committees, you're honour bound to learn the ropes. Yes. And I think it's really important that you understand how you chair meetings, where how conflict of interest works. Mm-hmm. And I always say to young women who are aspiring to get into any walk of life, whether it's business or committee work, mm-hmm the most important thing to do is to understand finances. And I always encourage people in their public and private lives to do any course they can... On budgeting. On budgeting. Because I think one of the challenges is that women are often looked on as the financially illiterate, the incompetent in that area. And very often men cover up their weaknesses, and women really have to fight to make sure they're as good, if not better, with the money. Well, and the it's, it seems funny because in in the Italian culture and other different cultures, different people do it different ways. And, and yet in some cultures, the husband always has to look after the money. And most cases, the husband knows nothing about finances and is the worst in the world, you know. And the women usually know better than the husband just because they, they're the ones that go to the shop. They're the ones that do the shopping. They're the ones that do the spending. So they know about money. The husband just goes to work, comes home with the pay, and then he wants to control it all. And he really doesn't know that much about finances. And children... I've often said they should be teaching this at school. Budgeting should be a a, a subject or part of a mathematical subject or something, you know. Well, I think schools have a lot of challenges. And over the years, I've heard people say they should teach people about how to look after a dog, how (laughs) to drive a car, about road rules, about budgeting. And I think the key for education is you can't overload the curriculum too much. Yes. And it's really important that people are literate and numerate. Yep. And by literacy, I, I mean, I think 
it's not just being able to read, it's being able to compose a credible document mm. and letter yes. and be able to tell a story in a language because I see too many things written Com to me which are so badly written that I struggle to work out what the person's trying to say. Yes. And I think you'll always be held back in life if you can't write a simple, plain story mm. and if you don't understand numbers. So well, stick to basics, I always say. Reading comprehension is a real problem for a lot of people. It seems that... Um, actually, I was talking about that very subject today and with a group of people, we were talking about how... Um, the vocabulary that people use, you know, and some guy was making fun of the people that live in certain districts, you know, and the way they talk and, and the footballers and all that sort of stuff. And some people were saying, oh, yes, but if you go to this other side of town, everybody talks like this, you know. And well, I, I said, think, but I think that it doesn't matter what your accent is or where you've come from. Yes. You just need to be able to write a plain story. Uh, I think it's – and I, I think that footballers are – stigmatised in many ways because people think that they're blunt and oh, well, beefy. But they were talking about the crowd that goes to the football. Oh, to the football. <laughs> you know, the, the, the football uh, supporters, you know, <laughs> and they were making fun of it, you know. So I thought, in a very unfair way, by the way, and I said to them, look, that's, that's unfair because you're trying to generalise it a bit too much. But, you know, there are some people that really have no idea of reading comprehension. But it's not their fault. They need help. I, oh, mean, yeah, I, I, I think look. that education is hits people differently and in some some people start school with at a disadvantage and well, there need to be resources yeah, to help people. I couldn't read or write until I was about 12. I couldn't even speak English. And it hasn't held you back? Well, I didn't let it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, it, honestly, I was 12 when I started to really speak English properly. And up until then, I lived in on a farm, and we lived with you know family, and we went to a little school, and there was nothing like the city. You know, we lived in the country area. But you can be encouraged by the the research that says that anyone that's bilingual will live longer and is less likely to get dementia. So here oh, you well, are. there you go. <laughs> look on the bright side. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Look. No. The thing is, Jane, I, I want to ask you. We're going to have to take a break again, but I want to ask you about some of the other businesses that you've been involved in, you know, like you said, you went to Boston and you did some work there and then you went back to England and, and stuff like that. Because I want people to understand, and what you mentioned before was that you, you're not the sort of person that took one job and worked there for 40 years or, you know, 25 years, wait for, to get your gold watch and say, thank you very much, I'm going to retire now, you know. I think that one of the things I've noticed is that people sometimes see an opportunity and come up with a reason not to grasp it. The yeah. number of times people have said to me, oh, you know, I've been offered this job, but the time's not right, or <laughs> it's not the right moment, you never get a second chance. Yeah. If you see a chance, an opportunity, a job, you should always take it. Okay, thank you. We'll take a break. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. Yo. Ciao. Armando Paradiso from Unique Stone. Delivering quality stone tops to South Australia for over 20 years. Granite, marble, Caesar stone, unique stone. Granito, marmo, Caesar stone, unique stone. Thinking stone bench tops to your kitchen, bathroom, or furniture? Unique stone at Jacobson Crescent, Holden Hill. Call us now, 8266-2280. Unique stone, we won't be beaten. Come on, che stai facendo? Yo, chiama adesso. Estovest. 
a restaurant that offers traditional Italian food that Nonna would approve of. Famous for gnocchi and authentic Napolitana style pizza. And every Thursday night, you can enjoy unlimited pizza for just $25. Wonderful coffee and staff that make you feel special. Estovest, Shop 1, 111 Angus Street in the city. To book, visit their website, estovest.com.au and click on Book Now. You'll feel like you're in Italy. Hi, I'm Jamie Limura. And I'm Lee Harrison. Join us every second Sunday night from 7pm on Negative Camber, the official motorsport show of Scuderia Ferrari Club Adelaide. Whether it's karting, supercars, MotoGP, Formula One, we talk all the latest news and results in the motorsport world. Negative Camber, every second Sunday from 7pm on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Vuoi promuovere la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82 123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Radio Italia 1. You're listening to Peter Salerno on Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, look, it's so great. I just want to, again, say thank you to the people that have called me over the last couple of weeks and uh, or sent me messages because um, I try and get to everybody. It's just that the last couple of uh, days I've noticed that my Facebook has been hacked again. Last week, I think it was a week before it was hacked I, I keep regularly seem to be getting hacked and at the moment I can't even get onto my personal Facebook uh, page but I can get onto Radio Italia Uno or I can get onto Happy Business Radio so if you've sent me a message and I haven't answered it it's only because I can't actually get to my Facebook so I'm not too sure exactly what's happening there uh, I think Ron's going to try and help me later but we'll see, we'll look into it. But also, please keep supporting the people that support us, the people that are advertising with us, the people who have services or products. Uh, go to their shops, use their businesses and say, hey, I heard about you on Radio Italia Uno and Peter said some good things. So, um, you know, it's it just helps them and helps you. But if you have a product or a service that you would like to advertise, now is a perfect time to talk to us. Go and ring Mark up. Mark Aston, General Manager of Radio Italia Uno, is more than happy to help you or somebody that's in the office there will help you. So now my special guest today is Jane Lomax-Smith. Jane was the Mayor of Adelaide quite a few years back. Then she went into local politics, uh, state politics, and now after many, many years, she's decided to go back in as the Mayor. So she's uh, here in Adelaide and we are lucky to have her. So, Jane, thank you so much for coming in, by the way. I know you're very, very busy, especially at this time of the year when you're, you're trying to get back into politics or local government. You could be out there talking to people, but you're at the moment you're with us and we're pleased to have you here. But I'd like you to just say, you know, how what made you come to Adelaide was the fact that I believe you were headhunted right? Now, you were in England minding your own business, doing wonderful things, of course, but somebody here heard about you and then they invited you to come. Is that 
What happened? It wasn't quite like that. One of the professors in the university got a job in Adelaide mm-hmm. and they, he recognised there were some job vacancies here and he mm-hmm. was looking around for people who could fill the gaps. Mm-hmm. And let's be reasonable in saying it's not that I'm wonderful, it's just that life was easier in those days for people. Yeah. There was less competition and there were less people fighting for jobs. I think it's tougher for young people now. But in those days, there was there was a shortage of people working at the university and I'd always taught. I was always quite keen to have part-time jobs and I used to get paid to be a demonstrator in the classes for mm-hmm. students who were younger than me. So they were. I used to teach histology and embryology and things. And he knew I was keen on teaching and they needed lecturers and so he thought I'd be the one for the job. So I was... There was a skill I had mm. that was recognised. And I, I think that when you are headhunted, it, you quite often it happens because someone knows you can do something. Yes. It's interesting you say that because in Italian there's a saying that, that when you translate it to English it sort of doesn't translate because in Italian it sort of rhymes. But it, it means learn an art and put it apart, uh, put it aside, you know. You you learn something and you put it aside because at some stage you may mm. want to use it. So the fact is, the fact that you enjoyed teaching, the fact that you enjoyed helping other people, other students, you were teaching and helping other students, so people recognised you for your talents, mm. but you also built up your skills. So you became a, a good lecturer, a good teacher, a good helper. And I loved that's, teaching. That's where people headhunt and they go, oh, mm. we, this woman would be good for this or this guy would be good for this, you know. I loved teaching. Mm. I think there's nothing more inspiring than seeing young people grasp an idea. Oh, I love it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's as if the lights turn on yes. and you just think this is magical. I've been a professional speaker for quite a long time and I know that when I do a lecture or a seminar or whatever and I'm helping people to improve their sales or whatever it is and they get, oh, wow, I could do that. You know, you, you see them. It's like lights shining in the audience all of a sudden, you know. It's a wonderful feeling. It doesn't always yeah. work. Sometimes you feel there's a flatness and you don't quite connect. Mm. You, have, you, can re- you have to read the room and know when you're actually hitting the spot. But mm. it's, um, when it's all working, it's a wonderful feeling. Oh, yes, yes. It's interesting. There was a, a movie I saw with a couple of people that were in there and and uh, he he would be t- talking to the class and, and writing on the board with his back to the class and, and rambling on about mathematics and blah, 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 blah. And he knew it all. They'd either be asleep or talking to themselves or whatever. And this other lecturer was a female lecturer and she was there and engaging the audience and asking them questions and they were asking her questions and... and she had them bouncing off the walls. And this guy says, how do you get them to stay after the bell? You know, like they were all still wanting to ask questions. And he says, well, you've got to talk to them. You've got to engage them. You've got to ask them questions. Don't just give them all this information. And he said, what? So she gave him an example of what he was doing. So he said, now turn around and face the audience while you're talking. Don't just face the blackboard, he said, and then ask them a question. How Instead of telling them that this is going to go that far, say, well, if we did this, this and this, how far would that travel? And how fast will it travel? Or if it was travelling at this speed, what would the arc be? And the guy says, oh, yeah, but that everybody knows that. He said, no, ask them the question. And then he stopped and asked them the question. He found out half the audience didn't know. And then the other said, well, how much is it then? You know, they wanted to know. So when he turned around to 
tell them they were all taking notes. I think there's been interesting during COVID when parents have had their children at home mm. and there's been a new respect for how tough it is to teach children. I, I've, <laughs> I really think teachers are greatly undervalued. Yes. They're not paid enough. They're not respected. And yet it's the most extraordinary skill, a great art, a great vocation, and we need more than ever good teachers. Yes, look, I agree 100%. For, for me, I've always had teachers on a pedestal, but also, on the other hand, some of them are down so low because they're so bad, you know. And I think, I, I think that I, you know, life is changing and teachers are very... Heavily regulated and watched. Yeah, and but teachers are just the most important person to me. I think teachers are the most important because if they can teach you how to read and they can teach you how to think, then you can learn anything. I think what's really interesting is you scratch the surface of almost any successful person mm -hmm. and ask them about a teacher that changed their lives. They yes. can tell you something extraordinary about someone One, who yeah. trusted them, who believed in them, and gave them encouraged them encouragement. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think everybody has a favourite one or two teachers. Matter of fact, I mean, I, I've I've often asked people who was your favourite teacher, and was it at high school or primary school or whatever? So it's quite interesting. The ones that had it at primary school seem to have developed faster, and some didn't develop so well until they got to high school, and then all of a sudden they got on track. You know, because mm -hmm. a high school teacher put them on track. You know, so it's interesting. That's true. So, who was your favourite teacher? What was it that your teacher inspired you? Um, I think that I really liked my biology teacher, Bar Miss mm -hmm. Barron. Uh, oh, sorry, Doctor Barron. Yes, my, my, <laughs> they were all doctor. They all had doctors. Yes. And I was. I found that course, my biology course, mm -hmm. really fascinating. Um, but I was actually much better at maths and better at physics. Mm. But I was interested in biology. Is that because of the teacher? She was a really good teacher. Yeah. <laughs> but I managed to do, you know, I went to a very good school. Yeah, everything was good. There yeah. was no bad teachers. Everything was good. You were lucky. <laughs> I remember one of our teachers, and, and unfortunately, he was good. He was actually a good teacher. He was a really nice, kind, gentle person, but had no discipline, Had didn't know how to discipline kids. And, he'd, and there were some kids in our class that were real rat bags, real rat bags. And they came from the reform school, came in a bus to school, and they'd get picked up and go back to the reform school after school. And they were they were the first year I was at that school, I was in that particular class with these kids. They put all the kids in one class. So it was really interesting because I couldn't read or write. And I, I think it's tougher now for teachers because there's an environment where there's less discipline sometimes at home. Yes. And also children get to school with less language skills and mm. social skills and I think that it's tougher than ever has been before and that's why you know we've got to show respect and be gra grateful that our teachers are there oh good well, look I'm 10 minutes up already my god Ron saying wind it up okay thank you we'll, we'll take a break we'll come straight back <laughs> 
At Elders Insurance Adelaide East, our mission is to provide outstanding service and superior coverage to each and every one of our clients. With over 30 years of experience, we treat every client with mutual respect and understanding. We'll listen carefully to your specific needs and requirements in order to develop insurance solutions with a level of service and coverage you can't find anywhere else. Elders Insurance Adelaide East is a family-owned and run business with Italian tradition which is built on honesty, integrity and trust. Make an appointment today and go and see Tony and the team at Elders Insurance Adelaide East, 54 to 56 Kensington Road, Rose Park or telephone 8364-9477. We're an authorised representative of Elders Insurance, underwriting agency, proprietary limited, Elders Insurance, underwritten by QBE Insurance, Australia Limited. I'm Anna Faruja of Chapel Funerals. My role as a funeral director is to guide you through the emotional process of saying goodbye to someone you love. I'm here to help you make all the necessary arrangements so that you and your family may have peace of mind and time to remember and celebrate the life of the person you've lost. When the time comes, I'm here for you. So please call me, Anna Faruja, at Chapel Funerals on 81825100. Our independence is everything. Brazier Mobility has been creating independence for people for over 30 years. Brazier Mobility specialises in tailored vehicle solutions to keep you active, ensuring your vehicle modification suits your needs, offering you unlimited freedom. Brazier Mobility boasts a team of highly skilled technicians working in a state-of-the-art facility located here in South Australia. No compromises are made when it comes to client satisfaction. Call them for a friendly chat on 1800 Brazier or visit their website braziermobility.com.au Brazier Mobility, creating independence. Hi, this is David Heath and I'm excited to be bringing my program Soundtrack of Your Life to Radio Italia Uno. Join me Friday nights at 7 for interesting guests, some great music and plenty of fun. It's the best way to kick off the weekend. Soundtrack of Your Life, Friday nights from 7 until 9 on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM. Ti piace la musica? Hai voglia di metterti in gioco? Entusiasmo e personalità non ti mancano? Radio Italia 1 sta cercando te. Chiama l'82 123177 e anche tu avrai la possibilità di entrare a far parte del nostro team. Radio Italia 1, diamo voce alla tua voce. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Peter Salerno on Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening every Monday. I really appreciate that I get calls and people send me messages and say what they think about the program. And 99% of the time, it's pretty good.
So thank you, thank you. But look, I'm open to suggestions. I mean, you know, you suggest something that I should do or say. We've had a few people say that listening to this program, it really helps them. One chap sent me a message, I think I said to Ron on Sunday, I said about the guy that said his daughter was uh, listening with him and said, oh, Daddy, could I do that too? <laughs> and and she's like 12 or 13 now. And because these the, the young children who are doing uh, the RunLink technology are learning programming, you know, and other children hear it and think, oh, well, I'm, I'm 12, could I do that too? So, you know, it encourages kids at an early age. But, Jane, we were talking, my special guest is Jane Lomax-Smith, and, and Jane was the mayor of Adelaide and at a time which was uh, big changes. And at the moment, Jane is going to run for mayor again. And, Jane, I need to ask you publicly, like, why do you want to run for mayor again? What inspires you to do that? Well, I love the city of Adelaide and I've been really disappointed by the way the council has been operating of late. Obviously, the local government is the same all over the state. Every local government has to manage the roads, pick up the rubbish, build infrastructure, look after businesses, look after residents. But a capital city is really special because it has to do so much more. It's, if you like, the civic heart of our state. It's, well, it it has, is, yes. It, I mean, people think of the state, they think of Adelaide. I want yeah. to be proud of the city and I think yeah. every South Australian needs the capital city to be an economic driver, to be a powerhouse mm. and to be something that they can really look towards at times of celebration. Of they course. might go into the city. At times of yes. crisis, you might yes. look to the city. And we haven't been occupying that position. We've been, I think, underachieving for some years and it really grieves me to see yes. it and that's why I've stepped into the ring and said I think we can do this better. Clearly there are issues that are core business for council mm -hmm. and when I go out talk to people they complain that the council isn't as efficiently run as it could be. Mm -hmm. They talk about street upgrades that have to be undone and redone and oh. redone and undone <laughs> Yes, and how long it takes for the council to do up a road. Well that's core business, that's basic, you have yeah. to get that right. But if you can get the basics right and you can learn to work together in a civil way, then the next step has to be to be aspirational, to aspire mm. to do something better, to be imaginative, to be ambitious, to be audacious mm. and to actually look after the big problems. And there are some significant problems in our city that mm -hmm. need to be addressed. Yes. And I, I look, the thing that you said, like, you know, around the world – people have voted Adelaide to be one of the most livable cities in the world. And, you know, that's not a mean feat to achieve, you know. So we're, we're already up there as one of the third best cities in the world. But, you know, you look around Australia, we're always looked at, at as the, the little sister sort of thing, you know, uh, little old Adelaide instead of Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane trying to claim to be much better than us. You know, and other countries around the world think that they're better than us. And some of them, you know, may think what they like, but we're the ones that got the award. We're the ones that, you know, a worldwide recognition. It's not just we didn't vote for it ourselves, you know. <laughs> I think that yeah. we have such inherent advantages, such an inherent edge on so many other places. It's tempting to become a little complacent. And I... I I love Adelaide, but I want to make things better. Yes, I agree. And one of the one of the things one has to do is to be realistic about what isn't working and what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that if I look at the problems, the first issue I see is a post-COVID problem in terms of retail tenancies failing, mm-hmm. shops struggling, cafes struggling, and o- the occupation of, of offices is really low. Those two are mm-hmm. connected. You know, if there are 10 to 20% less people working in offices, clearly the shops are not going to thrive in the way they were exactly. before. Exactly, yes. And I think the first thing the city needs to do is to be honest, straight about this. Things are never going to be like they were before COVID. We're not mm. going to get 100% of people back into offices and therefore we have to rebuild, reconfigure, redesign our city to make use of the office space and to, to reshape the retail. We may never need as many coffee shops again. Because if there aren't people in the offices, we're not going to need so many of those types of retail. Unless we can employ or bring in a lot of tourists. <laughs> well, tourists yeah. matter, but also in bad yes. times, if there's less travel, you need locals. And yes. I think everybody on council, even the ones that are fighting, all agree we need more residents. Mm-hmm. My disagreement with some of the push in the city is there's a big push for luxury apartments. Mm-hmm. And I think we need accommodation for... People of middle income, low income, we need it for the hospitality workers, the, mm-hmm. the the people in cafes. We need it also for the essential services, people who work in the jobs that we need to make the city work, nurses, policemen. Mm-hmm. Or it, the public service. Public service or, as well. general. It yeah. would be good to have accommodation for them and reshaping the built environment may be the best way to do it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of cities in Europe where people live in the cities. You know, they've gone out of the country towns and gone into the cities. We should be modelling some of those things and say, let's make ours better. I think that the other, the other cr- issue that's of great concern to, to many people and more people should think about it is the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Because currently it's almost impossible for young people and essential workers to find accommodation at a price they can afford in the city. And that problem plays into the other problem, which is the skills gap. Yes. Every business in town is struggling to get staff. Yep. There are cafes and restaurants that can't open or work all their shifts. They can't roster people on. So there are fabulous restaurants that mm-hmm. don't open as many days of the week as they would want to. Yep or open all the meals of the day. Yes. And that's not because there are no customers, it's because they cannot right. get, get the staff. staff. Hey. So the built form needs rethinking. Housing needs to be improved for uh, people in, at affordable levels, and we need to work to find ways to fill the skills gap. And that requires council to work yeah. with government and also business community well look i wish you get in <laughs> like i said you know the city is awaiting you you know <laughs> so let's hope that people that hear this from adelaide get behind you people that are in adelaide that live in adelaide or, or reside in adelaide uh, own businesses in adelaide can vote for you and i hope they do thank you for your encouragement oh look I'm all the best i really do i wish you well now the phone number you want to give out uh, your details I'll give out the website website yes J A N E dot V-O-T-E, Jane.vote, or Facebook on JLS4, number 4, LM2022. Excellent. Or if anybody wants information, get in touch with me, as always, and I will pass on the information to you. That's what normally happens. People ring me and say, how do I get in touch with your guest? (laughs) More than a pleasure to let you know. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for coming. I know how busy you are, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Lovely to speak to you. 
You have been listening to Happy Business Radio with Peter Salerno. Catch our show every Monday from 2 to 3 p.m. on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.